Hi everyone, welcome back to Crime Science. With this podcast, we'll explore helpful topics about preventing crime and loss, the science that's the driving force behind these processes, and we'll also hear about and discuss real-life examples from loss prevention and asset protection practitioners and other crime prevention professionals. Back with us today is co-host Dr. Reed Hayes, Director of the Loss Prevention Research Council, co-host Tom Meehan, Chief Strategy Officer at Control Tech, and our featured guest today to give his take on the evolution of retail LP is Chad McIntosh, Vice President of Loss Prevention and Risk Management at Bloomingdale's. Uh, welcome, everybody, again to another issue of Crime Science, um, made possible by the Loss Prevention Research Council. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the evolution, the history, and, and a little bit about the future of loss prevention or asset protection, and and particularly from the standpoint of, of industry leaders. In this case, uh, we've got a, a distinguished visitor on this podcast with us, uh, Chad McIntosh, um, my colleague and co-host uh, Tom Meehan will introduce Chad and talk a little bit about uh, what they've been through together in the trenches of, of LP and now AP. Um, but I think it's an important topic. It's hopefully something that helps us all set context and understand uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going from all standpoints, from the structure, from the context that we're working in, from technologies and tactics that we use, from the positions, the titles, where we are in the organization, um, and then what all that means, what do we need to do next to get better and better. So, Tom, if I can, I'd like to go over to you and, and get your introductions. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Reed, uh, and thank you, Chad, for joining us. Uh, I'll go ahead and turn over to Chad in just a minute, but Chad is uh, the Vice President of Asset Protection and Risk Management for Bloomingdale's. Uh, and full disclosure for anybody who doesn't know my background, Chad and I worked together uh, at Bloomingdale's and Macy's Inc. for just about 14 years, and I worked directly for Chad for several years. So uh, it's both an honor and a pleasure to have Chad on the podcast, Feels Like Home. So super excited for it to be able to share some of the things that Chad and I experienced. And I, I know that uh, Chad has over 40 years of asset protection experience. Um, he's figured out how to, you know, have a 40-year career and he'll be 21 years old, so he'll, he'll help us all understand that. Chad, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Uh, do you want to tell the group a little bit about uh, what your role is today at Bloomingdale's? Yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Reed. Uh, I, I appreciate the invitation. I think that the, the, the topic is, is important for all of us to keep in front of us, not only uh, learning from the past, but also how do we predict where we're going to go in the future? So, um, as as Tom said, my my title at Bloomingdale's VP of Asset Protection and Risk Management. So, you know, I have the sa- the safety and the shortage side of the business, uh, business continuity, crisis management. Uh, certainly, uh, the you know the job from the time that I started, and I've been with Bloomingdale's nine years at this point. And the job has changed dramatically in those nine years. So that's really what kind of makes this topic, um, it kind of drives it home for me. Uh, in fact, you know, I think I think our 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 role in the organization has changed so much. Uh, we when I came back, we called ourselves loss prevention, and we realized uh, that that no longer really described what we do, not only in Bloomingdale's but in the industry today. So we changed. The name of our department to asset protection really to kind of uh, dramatize for everybody and explain for everybody what we actually do today. It's gotten bigger than just the shortage aspect, internal, external theft, if you will, and the safety aspect of it. 
So I think about the, the number of changes, Tom, that you and I have been through in the last nine years. It's very, very dramatic, but it, it will pale in comparison to the changes that we'll all see in retail in the next five years. Well, thank you, Chad. And that actually leads right into my first question. It's with all of the evolution that has occurred in the last uh, five years, and I would even limit to the last three years, how do you prepare yourself as an asset protection leader for the future? Well, it's, it's interesting. One, uh, you, uh, you, you have to go through a continuous learning process, by the way. Everybody should be learning new, new information, new uh, processes every day. When you think about uh, asset protection or loss prevention, you know, we built a, a big part of our strategy around a thousand pound register that sat in one place on the floor, never moved. That's not the norm today. Everything is mobile POS. So you've got to think differently in putting together a strategy. You have to anticipate. I, I think if I gave everybody one word to walk away with from the podcast today, it's anticipate. How do you figure out where your next big challenge is going to come? How do you start learning that, those processes that are going on in your store so that you can anticipate where your challenges, where your exposures are going to be? So I think it's, it's, it's a process of continuous learning. I think you have to, you have to look, for, let's take investigations as one element of, of asset protection today. So you have to look at non-traditional ways of investigating employee dishonesty in the store because it's no longer occurring at a point of sale that's not moving around. So it's moving around or it's mer merchandise that you're moving from store to store, having a customer come in, buy online and pick up in store, all these variables that five years ago, Bloomingdale's did not transfer merchandise, period. Now we're doing it at light speed today. So you've got to look for other ways to find the integrity issues, if you will, or the exposures to shortage in the organization. So. It, it really requires uh, a group of people to think differently in how they approach problem solving. So one of the, the questions I had was really related to data. I know in the, really in every business, there's this data that's been never available before, whether you have analytics on what customers are doing, marketing data, all of those things. How do you think data plays a role in asset protection today differently than it did three years ago? You know, one thing is social media and, the, and the, the amount of information that comes out of social media today. If you're not paying attention to it, you really have to have a process because the volume that you get from social media is unmanageable, by the way. So you've got to have a process that allows you to look for the exceptions so that you know and can predict if something's coming in your direction. Is somebody talking about theft at Bloomingdale's? Are they planning to come in and take advantage of you in your department store? That's one aspect of the data. And then you really have to kind of put a holistic model together so that you can assign risk by location and really plan your strategy around the risk associated with the particular store. So we, we built a model, Tom and, and uh, one of his team members built a model for me that really took a look at 43 different aspects and bits of information, both within the four walls of the Bloomingdale stores and environmentally. So we took a very holistic approach and really took a look at how the numbers uh, factored out, did some regression analysis, and really assigned risk levels to stores. We, had, we have four risk levels. 
I would I would assume it's probably easier for people to understand if you do a high, medium, and low. But it really helped us define where we were going to make our investments in the future, where we needed to uh, kind of do some target hardening, if you will, so that we look tougher than the other guy to the bad guys. So, Chad, you know, you've been in uh, LP, AP for a while. You've been with different organizations. Um, you know, can you give us kind of a, a look back? What are what have been the titles of uh, the organization that, you, that you've been in and now head, what have been sort of the titles of the senior leader um, of those organizations? How has that changed and what have you seen over your career? Yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, it's uh, uh, director of security was uh, th- my, first, my first boss. His name was Lou Sheely. And Lou Sheely, um, uh, this was in Washington, D.C. And Lou Sheely at the time was you know, one of one of the vo- real voices in asset protection or loss prevention in those days, security, and talking about uh, preventing shoplifting and things like that, especially during the holiday season, and we're, would literally go on a campaign uh, there in the D.C. area that was picked up in, in several cities. So it, he, he got me thinking differently about approaching how to solve the problem and not necessarily apprehend everybody in the world. And then I, you know, I, I moved on to an organization where it, there was a director of loss prevention, and then uh, I reported to uh, Gary Manson um, at, at Neiman Marcus, and Gary was the director of loss prevention there. Gary had, uh, again, a big thinker, uh, had a different approach to to uh, loss prevention, but again, it he he wasn't defined by purely catching bad guys. He wanted to solve the shortage problem at Neiman Marcus, and it required uh, to look at things differently, look at the processes that were going on in the store. And then I I, I, I worked for uh, Ed Wolf at Home Depot, and Ed Wolf was the first VP of loss prevention that I worked for. And, uh, you know, if you know Ed, uh, Ed's a big thinker and thinks differently Probably where I learned the most about solving shortage was at Home Depot and really analyzing what was going on from a transactional basis that was driving shortage in that environment. So, it, you know, I, I've seen security, I've seen loss prevention, um, and uh, I now asset protection, my role as the VP of asset protection. And I think it's important that um the you know the top role depending on the organization they're all called a little bit differently some are are directors some are vps certainly some are senior vps but it's all the it's all the top position and if you're in the top role in the organization then you have a responsibility to be the voice of your team uh to be out there to be present to be driving change in the organization and really kind of supporting your team as as they grow through the process and and making and making things better for them, helping them to achieve more than they thought they could. Quite frankly, no, that's great stuff, Chad. And um, I do remember, of course, both of those gentlemen very well, um, and had the opportunity to work with, not for, I guess, but um, with uh, both of those guys. And uh, and I, but I really liked the way um, you had the opportunity to think. Uh, about prevention more than reaction and apprehension. And we know there there are thieves, there are fraudsters, there are violent criminals that do need to be apprehended. They're just not paying attention uh, or they don't care. 
And so they're creating uh, insurmountable problems sometimes unless we have them uh, incapacitated, in other words, uh, detained by law enforcement. But um, And, and you, you may even remember before my time and yours, I believe, but guys like Bob Curtis or you heard the name Kirk Barefoot and so on, these guys back in the day, uh, Rich Lauks and so on. But the, these were guys, too, that I can recall, to your point, Chad, that uh, they were really trying to look at things a little differently, um, you know, barefoot probably via more about investigative type things and being more sophisticated there to, to take rings out uh, and make it more likely you're going to get caught. And then Bob Curtis with trying any kind of crazy thing he could think of and put it in the stores to see what would happen. So, um, but that's that's good perspective. And I and I thought the other thing to um, to take a look at has been you know the 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 focus since I've been in the business has been on reducing loss, reducing shrinkage. Um, what's what's uh, old is new and new is old and things like that. Uh, but I look back at Bob Curtis' book the other day and saw a real focus on on what you hear now, total loss prevention. And I and I saw, I'm trying to remember the other gentleman, that goes, there's a 1958 book uh, that I've got in my library here and, and the same focus on don't just look at inventory shrinkage, look at all your, all your threats, all your losses and try and prioritize those. Um, one thing I was going to ask you about, Chad, as well, is how is the how's the process changed? Have you seen or implemented in your case as well more analytics? Uh, what's that look like in the different organizations? It was really neat, kind of going back with you with the different organizations you've been with from a leadership standpoint, what you learned. But what about from an analytical and a prior prioritization type standpoint? Yeah, I, I think um, information and knowledge is king. So literally the our approach to uh, asset protection has changed dramatically in the last couple of years um, I, I had an advantage when Tom was part of my team and and um, some of the skills that he has that nobody else on the team has but we're actually taking a couple of people to develop some of those skills I don't know that we'll get to to Tom's level or not but um, that that's important I think that it's it's really it's taking a scientific approach, and that's why the Loss Prevention Research Council means so much to me personally uh, 18 years ago when we started the thought process. And, you know, LP, AP guys are, are, are very effective at fixing problems. We will throw four or five different things at the problem. We will fix it. Um, but in the past, we were never quite sure what's the one most important thing that, that that really fixed it. Where do you need to make your investments going forward? So you know, just using using the thought process behind LPRC and and the, and the analytics that go into it and the science that goes into it, and really, it's it's really from a, an offender standpoint, um, you know, the see it, get it, fear it thought process behind that, and, and making sure that whatever you put in place. Uh, doesn't impact the customer, but impacts the bad guy, that kind of thing. So what what information can you draw out of a store today that uh, will allow you to uh, to put things in place to, to impact profitability? So we're taking a look at using the analytics that we have behind the platform that we use to train uh, associates uh, today with that um, we started uh, in 2010 just focus on safety It's now sales and service, any number of things. So we're working on a prediction tool from a shortage standpoint. We're working on a prediction tool from a turnover standpoint. 
any number of variables that uh, that you can define, we believe that we have enough information that we can start predicting these events occurring in the store. Tell a general manager, if you don't correct course, this is what your shortage is going to look like. A bit like what we did uh, several years ago, read together at Home Depot, when we looked at 136 bits of information, came down with a grade eight, and we're able to predict shortage within two tenths of a percent with 95% accuracy. Um, anybody can do that today, by the way. The information is there. Uh, you may need somebody that can do some regression analysis for you, but the information is there that will point you in the direction where your challenges are. There's this perception in, in the asset protection world that the uh, people that have been in the business for more than 30 years can't be progressive. And, you know, I, I often say that you're one of the most progressive leaders that I've ever worked for, both from a leadership standpoint, and you mentioned learning and tech, uh, the technology and growth. What could you could you say to some of your peers out there, regardless of how long they've been in the industry, to help them embrace technology, embrace um, progressive methods? What, if you had one piece of advice, what would it be? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here. I have a glass office that looks out on my team of millennials. By the way, they are they're they're driving innovation as much as I am. By the way, they're they're making me look at things differently than I have traditionally to really kind of anticipate how do I keep them focused, how do I keep them energized and engaged in the process. And it really is that, I mean, the retail has changed so much. If you're not looking at it differently today because of the change, then you're going to get left behind. And, and, and really in today's world where I think everybody struggles with resources, you have to, you have to maintain uh, credibility in your organization. You have to do some marketing around what you're doing and the value that you add to your organization. And you have to look at things differently than than you did 10 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, if, if you're an old timer like me, 30 years ago, that kind of thing, because the landscape has changed dramatically. And if you don't change with it, then you're going to, you're literally going to become obsolete in the process. So I, I, I don't want it, that to happen to anybody. So uh, look for ways to improve the process. Uh, one of the things that we did here at Bloomingdale's was we changed the way that we train associates in our stores uh, from, from the standpoint of we use a platform that uses brain science and gamification really to train safety in our stores. And, we've, and it's been a game changer for us. We saved over $10 million in claims reduction. So it's something that you've got to find ways to engage uh, the store population. And when you look at retail today, there are four generations working in our stores today. So you got you have to figure out new ways to bring them all together and get them engaged in, in the message that you want to achieve. And as a senior leader in an organization like Bloomingdale's, or and you know, I, I know that you've worked for many great organizations as a senior leader. Um, today, with all of the news and doom and gloom about retail, how do you keep the teams positive and focused on, you know, keep continuing to move forward when there's that constant cloud of the, you know, there's stores are closing, uh, you know, things are getting cut. How do you keep how do you keep people positive on that team? So uh, one of uh, one of the things that we do, and and I think uh, the team here does it very very well, is that from an educational standpoint, we we offer up 
the certificate all the certification processes that are outside of Bloomingdale's we offer that up to anybody that has an interest so we keep them engaged we keep them growing I don't believe we'll hold on to everybody forever by the way but my, you know my goal in the process is that uh, you know uh, a stronger them is a better us kind of kind of thought process so whatever I can get from them in the time that they're with us that um, if they're smarter, better, better prepared, then they're going to execute better. They're going to have confidence that anything that comes along, they'll be able to handle. That's how I keep people engaged at uh, at Bloomingdale's. And I would, you know, I would say that you know the landscape has changed. Uh, everybody has to do more with less, that kind of thing. And we've, uh, you know, we've taken a position in an organization in combining roles in our store from an operation AP perspective. And that's that's a challenging process. It certainly feels like the the you know the the opportunities are fewer. Um, and I would tell everybody that they have they have to stop thinking about a linear career. So you need to think broader. By the way, so we've had we've had AP managers go off and become HR managers. We have we certainly have several that are in this dual role responsibility, picking up operations in the store. So you have to you have to think differently about your career. You also have to have flexibility in it too, by the way. And from the standpoint, if you want to stay in one location, it may take longer to you achieving your career goals. By the way, uh, the opportunities may not come as quick as they would in, if you're willing to move or relocate and take on an opportunity someplace else. So today, with all of those dual role, uh, roles and changes. Um, when you're looking for an asset protection person, are there different qualities that you looked for 20 years ago, or is it the same qualities that you're looking for? I, it, I think it's I think it's different. We started a program here at Bloomingdale's, and we called it APMI, uh, Asset Protection Manager Intensified, and and we were looking for uh, decommission uh, officers coming out of the military, not, not really focused on a particular branch. Most of these uh, most of these folks had gone through one of the service academies, so they were coming into our world with a great deal of leadership. That that is the piece that I think would probably take us longest to uh, to develop somebody with. I think that uh, we can frame the technical aspects of asset protection, loss prevention to almost anybody. And depending on their aptitude, it may take a little bit longer. Uh, but certainly having a very structured uh, process that allows them to, to pick up the basics and then having a support structure for them has been important to us. So I would say that, you know, we're looking for good leadership, uh, people that uh, like to work well with others people that can influence without authority. So you have to be able to work through other people to get things done. We had put a timestamp to the job of an asset protection manager at Bloomingdale's at one point, and I think it was 105 hours in a week to get everything done. So you gotta be able to work through others to get things done in, in, the, in our environment, and I'm sure it's just like many other environments, quite frankly, uh, influencing without authority. And then uh, being a great communicator because you have to be the person the, that's the face and the voice in the store and stand up in front of the store family or with management to really kind of sell them on the concept and the idea where we want to go from an asset protection standpoint. One thing I thought, too, I, I'd like to ask you, Chad, is 
you know, what are some of the cultural changes you've seen in your career um, and where we are now as far as uh, how LP or AP are viewed by the wrestling organization? I know that varies um, in place by location as well as in time. But what has been, uh, as far as your position or the LP or AP position, where were you in the pecking order? Um, how, how well were you able or were you uh, trying to work closely with other counterparts, with your counterparts in your organization? Yeah, I, I think, you know, collaboration and uh, working with the counterparts is, is uh, critical to be successful today. Uh, certainly, there are, there are meetings or processes or plans going on throughout the organization on a regular basis that could impact asset protection or loss prevention. And uh, somebody in one of those meetings um, could make a decision that's going to impact you and you may not be happy about it. So you've got to be connected with your business partners in your organization to truly be effective. So, uh, you know, we moved a couple of years ago to a different office building. Most of my business partners are all on the same floor now. I, I think that uh, our relationships and our partnerships have gotten stronger, better. So they think differently now. So I know if they're rolling out a process, they may think, well, we probably need to get Chad involved and talk to him about fraud, whatever the program is, whatever the aspect is, to get his opinion or get his viewpoint on how we make it stronger, better, and uh, more effective for the customer. So uh, those relationships and those partnerships are are, are critical today. Uh, asset protection is is it really can't be an isolated function in, in a store today. Uh, so much is going on that you need to be a part of. Um, one of the things that I think has led to a successful career for me is that I raise my hand and volunteer for things that uh, nobody else wants to. I want to get involved in other aspects of, of, the, of the organization so that senior management in the organization sees the value that I'm trying to bring to the organization. And something may come along that they'll think about me uh, in, in a different light and get me involved in other things. And I know in the last couple of years, they've been in, involved in sprint committees and, and big committees that have defined the way that Bloomingdale's will operate in the future. And that's because, uh, you know, I, I, um, I stuck my hand out and I volunteered for things nobody else wanted to do. Yeah, it's interesting, and it it does uh, really feel like, and as we interview our members, that things are, continue to progress. They realize that certainly the LP or AP function are not there to drive the organization, but are to enable the organization to do what they want to achieve their objectives. And but I do, I can remember back with uh, when I was back in LP um, twenty years ago, and uh, our company decided that they were going to implement a cosmetics department. Uh, we were probably the last department to realize that. In fact, construction started by the time we got word as to what, what the construction was going on in our stores. And as you well know, and, and many of our listeners as well, uh, cosmetic uh, inventory losses shrink uh, can be several times what you might be used to in some apparel types. Um, and so uh, essentially, we were called back in a dramatic fashion to brainstorm a series of um, deterrent measures uh, and implement them retroactively. Unfortunately, after the department opened uh, across the board, um, losses were 
uh, double digit and so on. So uh, it's always heart, heartening to hear that uh, increasingly LPAP decision makers and departments and key figures are included in the strategy, in the planning, um, rather than called in after, after the fact. To, the, to your point, I think it's it's critical that you're you're as proactive as possible. I mean, our organization is uh, going down the path of self checkout, and when you think about self checkout, there's environments where it works pretty well. Drug stores and grocery stores, and and even Home Depot places like that. But when you think about ready to wear and having to take a security tag off and the the, the challenges associated with that. Um, if you don't, you know, uh, stick your nose in, in in the process or get involved in the process, then the, the organization may make the decision. Well, we're just going to untag everything uh, at, and not tag security tag anything anymore in the store. So it's um, it's it's amazing how much change we're going through in retail today. Um, and again, I think Tom Tom pointed out we're going to go through a lot more in the next three years, much less five years. So. It's exciting. It's exciting. I did want to point out, I think you made a huge call out, Chad, that, um, you know, it's not, we don't always want to sit back and just and earn our way into that inner circle, uh, earn respect and so on. I think that's clearly part of it. But uh, what I think I'm hearing you say as well is, you know, you, you kind of need to, to nose your way in there sometimes to raise your hand, to volunteer, uh, to push a little bit, um, because you know, we know uh, that we really need to protect the assets. We need to help make these people and places safer. So uh, we've got to be proactive as well. So I, I have a question that, you know, not meant to be controversial, but I, I hear a lot of back and forth about violence related to apprehensions. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see an increase in violence? What What's causing it? From your opinion, what are some of the things that folks can do to kind of uh, control that in their environment. It's a topic that you know Reed and I hear pretty much every time we talk to someone that violence has increased, violence has increased. Um, and for a while, I thought it really was related to convenience stores and you know drug stores. But as I continue to talk to people, I hear this this upswing in violence. And I know some of the things that we shared together. So, what are your thoughts on it? Is it actually increasing? Uh, or is the perception that it's increasing because the information is more readily available? And, you know, what are some things that you're doing at Bloomingdale's that are working? And what suggestions could you make? Yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know if it's increasing. I haven't I haven't seen any statistics on it, hard, hard statistics on it. But, you know, because everybody's got a smartphone, everybody's a reporter, by the way. So you hear about it a lot more. And we took a position a couple of years ago to uh, to really really provide safe apprehension training for our uh, asset protection uh, detectives, if you will, that was based on uh, a process that uh, police officers in Great Britain go through and non-escalation, de-escalation training to kind of be be aware of the, of the signs when uh, something could escalate beyond your control and actually kind of talk them back into the into the AP office, if you will, so that you could process things safely. We saw a dramatic reduction in the number of, of, of resistance that we saw in our apprehensions based on that training. And there are a couple of great courses out there that um, anybody can do any re- research on to find better ways of training your store detectives if you have them today and you're making apprehensions. Uh, that will arm them with better information to to really kind of 
bring that back safely. So we've had a lot of success with the training process. It takes follow-up, by the way. Every time you get a new store detective, you got to train them on the process because they could uh, initiate an apprehension. And we found there was a, a very strong relationship between wanting to put handcuffs on people and the resistance that we saw in making an apprehension. So we try and balance those those activities along with the training to ensure that uh, our our associates uh, uh, don't get hurt on the job. Uh, you know, as an asset protection leader, that's the thing that keeps me awake at night. One of our associates getting hurt trying to make an apprehension for some merchandise that's not worth anybody getting hurt over, quite frankly. I, I appreciate that response. I kind of, again, it, it's unfair because I, I was I was thinking you were going to say that. So um, we work together so closely on that one. So I remember some of the things. Uh, and I, again, I think Bloomingdale's has a world-class pro, uh, program. And I, I second your notion to research. There's a lot of great programs out there. So the next question is uh, really more of an uh, opinion-based and this is something that you and I did together, but I know you have some experience with some of the other companies you worked out related to e-commerce. So the dot-com world, how does an asset protection person define their role in helping reduce fraud and shortage related to dot-com? Yeah, I think it starts with uh, you know finding out who the person responsibility is for e-commerce in your environment. And really, um, kind of asking uh, for a seat at the table to really kind of talk about how we can help in the process and improve profitability. When you look at e-commerce and and fraud activity, there's there's a real exposure there for any organization. There's a real opportunity there for any asset protection uh, leader today, and in, in getting involved in that process, and then um, again learning going in and, and learning to figure out where the where the exposures are, where your best opportunities are to really kind of add value in the process. And I know there are asset protection teams today that are very involved in e-commerce. And I I recommend that find out who's who's in charge of it in your organization and go and and go and talk to them about uh, you know how the process works, where you can add value and how you can make a contribution to that very important piece of the business today when you think about how fast it's growing. So, and we, we talk about asset protection, and I started just a, just 20 years ago, and when I started, it was that the, a lot of companies were going from security to loss prevention, where it was no more cops and robbers, now there's safety involved. Um, you know, and as I look at the landscape uh, globally, you know, not just in the U.S., you you're starting to see everybody is transitioning from loss protection to asset protection. And then outside of the U.S., you're starting to see the profit protection, but the same kind of principles. What were some of the challenges you had with that transition? And was it just a name change to keep, you know, just to keep up with it? Or was it more than that for you? No, I think it, it, it was a mindset change and a cultural change at, at Bloomingdale's. We wanted, you know, one of the things that I've always spoken to AP leadership in our organization, you got to market what you do on a, on a regular basis so that management knows what you're bringing to the table, the value that you're adding in the organization, those things. So um, it really was explaining exactly what we were doing, monitoring social media, putting together programs on active shooter, 
any number of things that really took us beyond just catching bad guys in a loss prevention role. That's what the, the organization's perception was of us. That's what we did. We caught bad guys. That was, you know, that was a fraction of what we actually did on a regular basis. You just mentioned active shooter, and I know that all of our listeners put safety first. And uh, in our environment, our folks get injured more than others. But when you talk about active shooter um, today, it, it seems to be a topic that comes up daily, you know, on the news and the media and not getting into the political side of it. Have you had to change the way you've done things with Bloomingdale's as far as an active shooter? And can you share some of the things that you've done at Bloomingdale's and throughout your career and how the evolution is, has changed? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a it's a topic for everybody because you're right. You hear about it almost on a daily basis, someplace in the news, and and really the um, what we try to uh, impart on our store families is that this is a life lesson. It's not just a Bloomingdale's lesson because the, an event is more likely to occur in a mall in a food court than it is in a Bloomingdale store. So we want them to think bigger about the process. We want them to go home and talk to their kids. Uh, we want them to go home and share it with the rest of their family. Um, you know, we had uh, we had an asset protection uh, associate in Las Vegas when the Las Vegas event occurred. He knew exactly what to do. He knew, he knew exactly what to do with his family to get his family to safety. So, and he shared that with me. And, it, and it, I got a lot of gratification from that, that we're changing the thinking in, in our, our associates to think bigger about that, about that process and those events, knowing not where the primary exit is, but where's the secondary one in case you can't get out that first one. And that's kind of how the process works for us today when we train our store family. We bring them together, we educate them on the, the types of events that are occurring give them some of the kind of the FBI statistics on it. And we ask them to go back to their department. We make the announcement that we would make if an event were occurring in our store. And that, that uh, prompts them to go and look for their primary exit. And then um, when they come back to us and say, all right, where was number one? And then we ask them where was number two? And they've got to think about it. So we're making them think differently. And we've had it tested a couple times. Our process tested a couple times in Florida, quite frankly. And it, the, the stores have reacted exactly the way that they've been trained to. So getting people out safely or to a, a safe position where they can, uh, they can remain unharmed. So I feel good about uh, what we're doing today. Is it, the, is it a perfect process? I don't know. I, I don't think it is. I think it's something that you can never walk away from in the discussion. Anytime there's an event, you want to remind those stores in that particular geographic area that the event just occurred, talk to the store family at the next morning rally, remind them of the good practices that we have in place to ensure their safety. One other thing I want to ask you about, Chad, um, what are what do you see are some of the future needs? And you, you and Tom have talked have talked a little bit about this so far on the podcast. But um, what are some upcoming challenges? I, I know we're moving merchandise around. We're trying to get merchandise and uh, to satisfied customers in a lot of different ways. That continues to evolve. You mentioned in the next three to five years, and and we all know in the next three to five months things are continuing to change, or will continue to change here. Uh, but what are some future threats, some future needs 
uh, that you have or that you see that, uh, that uh, the LPRC and others can help you work on? Yeah, it's, it's really the, uh, trying to define your program in an omni-channel world and how you be successful. Taking a look at technology, how can you put technology in place that'll, that gives you information or allows a team to, to determine what's going on in their environment so they can change their focus or you can point them in the right, right direction to solve a problem. So it's, it's, uh, it's thinking beyond that original strategy of the thousand pound register that didn't move. How do you how do you adopt new processes that uh, will help you through technology? Because you're probably not going to get any more resources to go into the store. So you need technology to do the work for you. What are the things that are coming along that are out there today that can help you with that process? How can you leverage RFID information if your company's involved in RFID? How can you leverage RFID and video together if you're if if your company is involved in those processes. And then I think it's I think it's looking at things differently. So I have a theory and we're going to test it on dwell time. So I believe that dwell time for a good customer is X and dwell time for a bad guy is Y. So when you get to Y, how do you send a message to the camera room if you have a camera room or to the radios of a manager or an, or an asset protection detective to tell them that You've reached Y in men's denim. You have somebody down there that you need to pay attention to. So I think it's thinking along those lines to give the, if you have teams in your store, to give them better information, to react to it, instead of just the kind of panning around, maybe picking up on somebody that's in the store that they need to pay attention to, but how to use technology really to kind of giving them that kind of focus on, on where the challenges are that they need to address. Okay, that's that's great feedback, and it's interesting, like you say, Chad, and what you described in that scenario um, does a lot of things at the same time. Not only does it that help reduce the merchandise loss uh, and make it available for the good paying customer, um, but you're doing what you're describing with your counterparts. You're assisting your the merchants, the store operators. You're uh, you're harnessing technology and tactics to accomplish the mission rather than trying to just do it on your own or. Uh, put it off on somebody else. So that's a that's a great analogy and a case study description. Tom and Chad, what we'll do is we'll kind of wrap here. Tom, did you have a compelling question or anything else you want to make sure we got on tape, if you will? You hit the nail on the head. I, I, the question I had was really, I had two, and you hit both of them. One was really about the LPRC and, you know, the value that it, it added. And I, I think... For any of the listeners that are listening, um, I encourage you to reach out to the members directly to folks like Chad, who I know is always available. Uh, if one thing ta- uh, Ch- working for Chad taught me is that no matter who it is, you always call them back. You always email them back. So I can guarantee you if you ask a question about anything, you'll get a response. And um, I encourage people to go out because there is still um, some folks that aren't aware of the LPRC. This podcast is available to the general public. So um, hopefully, if you're involved in retail or law enforcement or, or uh, science and the research is uh, related to crime, this uh, you know the LPRC is a great resource for you. And um, this is one of the member benefits, but we're we're extending it to the general public so that people learn about it. And 
you know, I'd like to thank Chad for joining. Uh, it's always fun for me to talk to Chad. Um, it brings a, a little bit of warmth to the heart and a tear to the eye because uh, we had some really amazing times. And when you talk about the evolution, uh, we got to have a ton of fun, but we also experienced some of the toughest things in retail that probably could have occurred from store closings to market crashes to civil disturbances that haven't been seen since the 60s to, you know, terrorist events. So really exciting stuff, but really goes right back to what we talked about today and how quickly and rapidly things are changing and how important it is to continue to learn, continue to reach out. Um, And, uh, you know, the selfish plug for the LPRC is really that this is an organization that helps with all of those things because you have the, the, the benefit of getting 100 people with the same problem together to solve it versus a few. Excellent. Thanks for all that, Tom. And uh, again, also thank you, Chad, for all your insights, um, the benefit of your wisdom as well. Um, I'd also like to thank the crime science team, uh, Kevin Tran, our producer, uh, Jordan Burchell, who is our technical director. Um, So until next time, this is Reed Hayes signing off for Crime Science from the LPRC.